From Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. It's changed now to function. Not only should a building gather its own energy, it should gather its own water, it should clean water, and I think it should start to produce ecosystem services the way, the way a forest does. That was Janine Benyus, biologist, innovation consultant, and author of the sustainability bestseller, Biomimicry. She sat down with Paul Wolford, the design principal for HOK's San Francisco office, and me to talk about how buildings can act as a regenerative force. Let's listen in. Hey, Paul. So hey, you two have been working together. HOK, this uh, global design, engineering, architecture uh, firm, and, and Janine, uh, who for 20 plus years has been talking about uh, how nature can really, uh, how asking nature uh, can really become a, a mentor and a measure uh, for what we want to be and how to build and design things. Talk, to Paul, a little bit about just sort of your work together. Well, um, I think you and I met probably about 15 or 16 years ago, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to Shelburne Farm in Vermont for a weekend with oh. Janine, Paul Hawkins, and Ray Anderson. Wow. And uh, I have to say, you know, as an architect practicing on fairly traditional uh, projects in fairly traditional ways, it was a real road to Damascus moment for me. Um, I read, read Janine's book on the way, and then we spent three days. Can you imagine spending three days walking around the woods in barefoot with Janine, Paul Hawkins, and Ray Anderson? <laughs> Uh, it was pretty extraordinary, and from that moment on, really, we began an association very closely and have worked on multiple scales, looking at everything from regions and districts for new cities in India to entire campuses, and we're currently looking at something called the Genius of Biome for California Coast, in which we have partnered up with 3.8, the researchers and biologists, the Gene's team, and are looking at ways to create resilient and optimized solutions for communities, for companies, and for uh, individuals, drawing lessons from the nature in the California coast here. So let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, 3.8, which you mentioned, is Biomimicry 3.8, which is the consulting firm that, that Janine and, her, her, uh, and your colleagues run to work with companies and institutions and others. Um, and yeah, the genius of biome, I mean, I remember we talked about this 10 years ago or something like this, it's, uh, and, and uh, how this sense of place, as we talk about sustainability, we talk about the built environment, we talk about resilient, smart, sustainable, green cities, but every place is different. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, we, we talk about the fact that um, true sustainability would be that we become native to our places again. And that is, you know, that it wouldn't, we would be taking our cues on how to solve the problems we want to solve by looking to the organisms that have already solved them and using local ecosystems as the measure of success. You know, if we're functioning, performing as well as a high-performing, healthy ecosystem, that is our, our buildings all the way up to our cities, um, what would that look like? How would we measure it? Um, and then how do we achieve it? And w the, this idea, you know, it's been very much a metaphor, right? That city as a forest, building as a tree. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was talking about that. Um, but it was, for years and years and years, it was just biomorphic. You know, it was like, we'll, we'll put, 
tree-like you know, facade or something that'll look like trees and that'll, be, that'll, that'll yeah. reference the native ecosystem. It's changed now to function. Not only should a building gather its own energy, it should gather its own water, it should clean water, and I think it should start to produce ecosystem services the way, the way a forest does. So these ideas, when you, one of the things I will say is that 15 years goes by in a blink, but it's the, you need a client to have that kind of vision to say, we are not sure what this is, but we're gonna pilot it at all scales and we're just gonna commit to, we think there's something there, and that's what HOK did 15 well, so, years ago. So this all sounds great, but let's bring it down to action. So what does this look like? What is, what is the genius of biome, and, and what happened in coastal California that then allows you to do, do what? Help to bring us along the story. So what we're doing together at the moment is, is we sat down and we looked at areas of inquiry that every one of our clients has challenges and faces. So things such as simple things, how do you create uh, a structure that's actually going to be resilient in a, in a place in which the earth moves consistently? How do we create thermal environment uh, in a place where it doesn't rain very often and the sun is constantly on us except in the city of San Francisco? How do you, how do you actually, as Jeannie was saying, how do you basically create landscapes and environments of water in places where it only rains a few months of the year? And so every single community, and client that we deal with faces these same challenges. And I, I think often, as design practitioners, we tend to try to solve problems in the same way we have because we solved them before. You know, there's a lot of talk over, over the conference about the linear versus circularity uh, economy and way of thinking. Most people in the world are still approaching problem solving in a linear fashion. They had solved it once before this way, it works, there's a proof, a test case, and they solve it again in a new way. Some of the slides you're seeing on the screen rolling behind us right now were part of this exercise in which we worked with the scientists and biologists on Janine's team. We identified these areas of inquiry. They worked with us very carefully to identify what are called nature's champions, such as the spider that's showing up right now. We unpacked the way that they dealt with a challenge in the natural world. We looked at how that could be applicable to these design challenges we laid out in terms of structure, thermal comfort, water, and uh, landscape. And then we began to reassemble them so that we could come up with design solutions on real projects or even prototypical or hypothetical projects so that we begin to train our muscles to begin to think differently. We've applied them on projects, and now we have data and test results from it. Honestly, it's something that when you, talk, you and I talk about this or when people hear Janine talk about this, they, it's a kind of mystical experience and they leave, they feel enriched and they walk out of the room and they think, now what do I do with that? But it really takes simply first steps. And much of what you're seeing shared across the screen behind you is our, our initial investigations and applications into what it means so, to demystify it. So for instance, the, the spider one that you saw, there's you know spider webs have a very particular way of when they get wet, they change their structure so that water droplets come together, coalesce, and then run off, which is, you know, which helps water the plants around them. But 
the, it's such a cool material idea, but the way they translated it, the way your team translated it, they sit in a charrette and they learn the biology and then they start drawing. They translated it into a facade that when there is humidity, it expands the way a spider web does. It gathers that humidity, it moves it away. They even had it, you know, a UV filter to clean it, and then it becomes potable water for the building. While closing, off the plaza or whatever during the rainstorm um, or during a high humidity event. So those ideas are now getting put into actual, you know, the one, the one in, um, in DC that I love, there's a um, Coast Guard building. And we did, a, we did a similar thing, a genius of biome out there, and we were looking at um, beavers, which are really important for water purification um, because they build these, you know, layered, uh, ponds that turn into marshes eventually, and through, through a watershed. So if you look at them as engineers of water purification, slowing, storing water, cleaning it, it's really quite amazing. So the way that was translated into a building by HOK is they decided to do green roofs, but they decided to make different kinds of green roofs with different kinds of vegetation in a, in a, a layered way so that they were all connected to one another, so that when it rained, water was going down this beaver-like uh, system. So we had a panel earlier on this stage uh, about climate and resilience and talking about what happened what we learned from Sandy and Irma and Harvey and the whole gang and, and, and all the, in fact, rebuilding and all that. It sounds like, and, and out of that is the fact that, yeah, there's, you know, they've got a plan, but there's still the sort of rebuilding what we had before. It sounds like you have created, in, in, in effect, the recipe for building for resilience, nature, of course, being probably the most resilient of all of than us, relative. So, I mean, why or is this going to get adopted in larger planning for coastal areas and anything else that's in harm's way these days, which is almost anywhere else? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think that this is designed for ecosystem services like water purification, for instance, or water storage is also a resilience play, right? Because you need to, you need to soak up that water. Um, it's also a wellness. You know, any, any, you can look at lots of different things that people want to do today. They're just, we're just simply asking more of our buildings and our developments than we have in the past. Yeah. In the past, we looked at, is it saving energy and maybe is it gathering some water for itself. But that's about it. Now we're asking a lot of other things of our buildings, which means a boom in, in innovation. But, we're, but you can look at it through the lens of resilience, absolutely, don't you think? You know, one of the things I was just going to share on that is, yeah. is um, I was just speaking with one of your colleagues, uh, Janine's managing director, Nicole Hagerman-Miller, yeah. at Cornet, which is a conference for corporate real estate directors two days ago. And Robin Bass, one of the leaders of sustainability in the team, was giving a concrete example of that. So if you think about it, historically, when we design buildings or when planners plan districts, they think of them as the thing itself. But the new Google headquarters, Robin shared, sit in a vulnerable zone. If sea level rises like it's predicted, then the buildings themselves, they've designed them to be above water, but how do you get to them? So. It's no longer a conversation about isolation, because in forests, 
everything doesn't act in isolation. Well, that's one of the great lessons from Janine and Janine's exactly. team and her thinking is that it's all interconnected and interwoven. Everything is dependent upon the success of everything else. And so if we approach the way we actually build, the way we do campuses, the way we do regions and districts, or products like we heard today, then we actually set ourselves up for success. So Paul, we've got depressingly little time left, and I wanted to see if we can get in a question. But talk a little bit about how you work with clients in this new realm. Do they say, I want to do biomimicry? What do they, do they articulate it? Or do you just say, you should take a look at some of what nature has to teach us about something? What is that process? Give us a little window into that. So anytime you start a new project with a client, the first thing that we do is we actually go back and we research the history of the founders, because that's, the, that's really the roadmap, if you will. Mm. Ray, Ray Anderson, it's at Interface. Uh, the other thing that we do is, is we take and we do a deep dive into their mission and their values. Mm. And then we have a vision session with, with them, and we sit down together with them and we unpack what that means for them. And we ask them key questions. What does it mean to set your enterprise, whatever it is, a community, a company, an organization, a global corporation, up for success? How can we, as design practitioners, really be of assistance to you in that? And then we ask them a handful of provocative questions. What ifs? What if we were able to create a building that emulated your mission, values, and culture, or a campus, or a district, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, or a product, by doing these things? So we set up a scenario of what ifs, and if they twig on to this, and they frankly feel ownership of it, then we have a path to success with that. If they don't, then honestly, it's not something that we pursue for people who aren't ready for it yet. We might do an internal charrette, but I have to say, especially in the environment we live here in Northern California, there's an interest, a reception, and I think at the C-suite level, people are waking up and realizing that it's no longer a singularity conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Elaine, what do we got? We have a question about equity and inclusion. So how can biomimicry be applied to address equity and inclusion in cities? I think that this, this idea that we're talking about, which is having your building and your development operate in ways we've never asked it to operate before, growing its own food, for instance, purifying its own water, gathering its own water, supporting biodiversity, all the things that we're, we're now asking, would you like your building to do X? Those need to be invented still. Design for ecosystem services is a huge, I think, a huge new area for local neighborhood companies to start to invent new ways of growing food, new ways of inviting wildlife or pollinator corridors through the, through the uh, city, new ways to get credit for the carbon sequestration that they do through things like the ways they plant the kinds of food, food forests that they're putting in or the kinds of vertical farms that they're putting in. That, I don't think that, I think that there's a lot, not just green jobs, but we were talking this morning about green wealth. And this is a policy I mean, if you could do all the things we're talking about, build these buildings using outside firms that come in and just do it and leave. Or you can think about how can we prejudice local firms, for instance, the new terminal at San Francisco is built with a CO2 sequestering concrete that comes from coral reef 
research. It happens to be a, it's a, a company called Blue Planet. They're doing all the road aggregate with this. It was specced for that. It was specced for CO2 sequestering concrete. Yeah. And a local firm was used instead of just a normal, you know, international firm. That, that's where I think, I think it's going to be in the innovation and then the policies that prejudice you to, or so, demand that you, that you hire local people and local businesses. So we need to wrap, but I want to ask each of you a final question, which is, I, I know that there's a lot of people, maybe most people in this room say, this is amazing. I love this stuff. I don't know how to go into my organization and start talking about this without, frankly, getting laughed out of the room. Like, oh, we're going to make a tree, a building, you know, whatever. And, and, and not because it's silly, just because it's, it's hard to explain and, and, and just start that conversation interior. And internally. What do you recommend, Paul and Janine, uh, in terms of how to talk about this uh, how somebody in, in this audience or on, uh, watching the live stream can start a conversation about this internally that might lead to them, you know, moving further down towards actually creating some biomimetic designs or facilities or even products. Well, let's, Paul, let's start with you and all. So I recently read this proverb, which I thought was quite prescient, and it goes something like this. I'll paraphrase it: When the winds of change blow, some people build walls and others windmills. So I'm sitting next to the architect of windmills here. <laughs> what I found in my career, in my life, and practice is that I look for who the person who's going to build the windmill is in any kind of organization or any enterprise, and I know that they will be an advocate. The wall builders won't, but if there's an advocate in the room, you can start a conversation. So look for the advocates. Mm -hmm. No, that's it. We do that. We do that too. We've decided that our job is to serve the champions in the companies that we work for who see the new world and want to find a way to bring their company to it. We do also look at the early adopters for sure. But we also, and you do too, you have to stand up and you can, you can argue this in a number of ways. You can say, you know, certainly the companies that are going at least to net zero which we've been doing for 25 years, you can say, well, what is your net positive strategy? And they often will talk about product, but they don't have a net positive strategy for facilities. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, so I, tying it to something they're doing any, anyway, they understand science-based targets, so the idea of having a metric that they shoot for, there are a lot of people who are very driven by that, so these ecological performance standards fit that. Some people are just wanting to have more employee engagement. Some people want to just be better community members, which, you know, if you live in a building, if you work in a building that does these cool things, and they're giving cleaner air, cleaner water, and biodiversity support to the neighborhood, that's a point of pride for the employees. So some, you know, depending on who you're talking to, they care, their if their values are around their employees and about being a good neighbor, talk about that. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, hey, let's get ready for ecosystem service markets. Yeah. Well, what I, like about, about uh, what, I, what I love about what you talk about, both of you, and, and, and is that it really does appeal to both left and right brain. It can be sort of the rational numbers, uh, you know, looking at the future and me doing cost-benefit calculations about what it takes to you know, be resilient or to create a building that will work over time. Um, 
but it's also very much around uh, just the future and, and the community and the people and, and, and just uh, end by thanking you for uh, that, that what this brings to this community and all communities is, uh, is so inspiring because it allows us to change both minds and hearts. And that's, that's my takeaway from biomimicry. Thank you for continuing to bring that to all of us. Please join me in thanking Paul and Janine. You've been listening to Janine Benyus and Paul Wolford talk about biomimicry in the built environment at the Verge 18 conference in Oakland, California in October 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash centerstage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening. <laughs>